All right, well, come on back, and uh, we're going to turn to Psalm 119, and we're starting in verse 57. And um, let me just remind you of a few things that we talked about a couple weeks ago, the last time we were here, maybe even three, but whatever, a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Jesus said it this way about the word. uh, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God, now folks, listen to this, don't take this for granted, is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now watch, watch. Profitable, it profits. Who likes profiting or losing? Well, I like profiting, I'm sure you do too, but it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Don't you find that you yourself need reproved sometimes? Is that accurate or is it just me? (laughs) Okay, reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete or mature. Who wants to be a baby? I mean, well, I wouldn't mind being a kid sometimes, but you know what I'm talking about. May be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm convinced that no matter what we do as we serve the Lord, in order to do it the right way, we need to get equipped, and the way we get equipped is through God's Word. 1 Peter 2.2 says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, And we could go on and on and on. Listen to some of these. Charles Ryrie said this, the Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it is the highest of all goals. D.L. Moody said, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. Ruth Graham, down through the years, I turned to the Bible and found that in it it was all that I ever needed. Uh, A.W. Tozer, the word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. What does he mean by that? He means maturity. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. A.W. Tozer. Corey Tenboom. You know Corey Tenboom's story, right? I've experienced his presence in the deepest, darkest hell that men could create. I have tested the promises of the Bible, and believe me, you can count on all of them. <laughs> J.C. Ryle. Let us seek friends that will stir up our prayers, our Bible reading, our use of time, and our salvation. Amazing stuff, right? And we could go on and on and on. Psalm 119 is where we are, and we got through 56. And remember this, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And this psalm contains 22 units of eight verses each. By my calculations, that's 176, and that's how many verses are here. Each of the 22 sections 
is given a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and in each line in that section begins with the letter. I want you to think about that. How hard would that be if you were just writing it out and you had to do the English alphabet and you wanted to say something about the Lord and you had to start with A? Not had to, but you started with A. And then you got to Z. And all the lines had to be, begin with Z, all eight. And it had to be meaningful, and the Holy Spirit was involved, and you were speaking about the Lord. The reason I'm telling you that is God uses people's literary talents, or God uses uh, their painting talents, or God uses their building talents, or God uses their sports talents, or God uses their music talents, or their fixing things talents, whatever it is. You get what I'm saying? God uses the things that he gives us for his glory. And when I read this, I think of that because whoever was writing this, the psalmist, was being used by the Lord with something that the Lord planted in him. What an amazing thing. Beautiful. You creative types. Oh, don't you love this? And uh, some have said, and I think it's true, because of this and many other things, Psalm 119 is a literary masterpiece when you really understand the language. And so we're going to keep through it. Remember that the psalm uses eight basic words for the word of God. I'll I'll run through them real quick. Law, word, judgments, testimonies, commandments, statutes, precepts, and maybe that's it. And the word, oh, the word in a different way of saying it in the Hebrew. So word two times. So, okay. So now we've gotten to the eighth stanza. We're at the eighth stanza stanza called Heth, I think, and maybe somebody can correct me, but it goes like this in verse 57. You are my portion, O Lord. By the way, how many verses does the eighth stanza have? You don't even have to look. Eight. How many verses do the ninth stanza have? Eight. Oh, you guys are catching on. Yep, that's right. So here we go. 57. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and didn't delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me. Uh, But I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you. Because of your righteous judgments, watch this, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. Now, the first thing is very interesting. The Lord is this psalmist's portion. Now, think about what it is. This person who is writing this, the psalmist, needs to be filled up and is filled up. But think about it. We fill ourselves up in this world with a lot of things, sex, drugs, rock and roll, uh, uh, money, power, position, image, uh, social media, number of likes. Uh, You go on and on, IRA accounts, stock portfolio, whatever it is, cars, houses, uh, anything. We try to fill ourselves up with all of these different things. This one here said, you are my portion, O Lord. He knew he needed filled up, but he was filled up with the Lord. And that's a powerful thing. Remember, the Levites, I tell you this every time, 
didn't get any land when they came into the promised land. What was their assignment? They, was, they were given uh, the Lord. The Lord was their portion. They were able to f- uh, uh, serve and love and be around God's temple areas and serve in that way. And the Lord was their portion. So we are priests now, and we're, we're happiest and healthiest and safest when the Lord becomes our portion. When we just want him for who he is, not for what he gives. Just to love him and to be near him and to draw near to him while he could be found. Oh, to say that the Lord is our portion. It's a lonely life sometimes, in some sense. We neglect or uh, uh, don't do things that other people do sometimes because we want to be in his word and be here fellowshipping together and uh, iron, or sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron when we could be a million other places. But we know that we want the Lord to be our portion. And that, when that happens, when the Lord is our portion, it's tied there to keeping his words. So you have to know his words. And where is God revealed? He's revealed in his word, especially his son, Jesus. We don't see Jesus now because we didn't live when he lived or when he died and rose again. But we find out and we read about and we think about and we commune with our Lord and Savior through his word. So he becomes our portion. Oh, what fellowship there is to have with the Lord through his word. Now, time out. I think everybody should have a way in which they're studying the word or being, uh, having uh, their devotional time. So you should have practical things like a Bible. <laughs> that would help. <laughs> and you should have, I think, a journal and a writing utensil and a time where you're undistracted or not distracted and you're there and you're studying and you're reading. And I think that the Bible in here, in Psalm 119 and other places, is telling us that when we have our time with the Lord in the Word, with our journal, uh, an undistracted time, it should be a prayerful time. That we should pray before we start. We should pray as we're reading the Word. Uh, as we come across something, we should be thinking about it and meditating on uh, what the Lord is saying there and asking Him to help show you what that is. Uh, I think uh, it should be a uh, consistent time. Uh, I, well, anyway, I mean... There's something about doing it in the morning that's powerful, and I think biblical. But I also think there's something about doing it at night that's powerful and biblical. And the reason I'm saying we should, I, I, I guess I shouldn't be saying we should. I, I think what we should be saying is we get to. So if I say that, I mean we get to. And this is where we meet the Lord, and this is where the Lord speaks to us. It's through his word. And I think we should be going through Uh, uh, something consistently and comprehensively. I don't think we should skip the book of Leviticus or skip uh, the book of Ezekiel just because it's long or it's not what, or numbers or whatever. No, don't keep going through John just a million times. Of course, go through John a million times, but go through the others because all of the Bible is all that you need. 
You need all the Bible, and I need all the Bible, and God could speak in it all. And if you don't understand all of it, that's okay. Ask the Lord to give you insight and wisdom and move on and keep going. And start to become intimately familiar with the Word. Because that's where the Lord becomes your portion. I'm convinced. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. I wanted you to bless me and be merciful to me. But how? According to your word. I I thought about my ways. That's what happens when you get into the word. You start to examine yourself based on what you're reading. Uh, You become less about pointing your fingers at other people and thinking about who you are in Christ and how he's moving you on. And you uh, stop giving people pieces of your mind and asking for the Lord's mind to be implanted in your, your mind or in your heart. Because you think about your ways. And then when you're reading the word, you turn towards what he's saying. I mean, folks, it ain't real fun sometimes to go to people you have grudges with and talk it out. But you have to turn your feet as you read about it in the word. And you say, wow, I'm going to turn my feet to be obedient. I said this a couple weeks ago. And I think it's true. You ever had somebody you know you needed to talk to and with, maybe to admit your fault or say you were sorry or whatever, and you just didn't want to do it? No way. You just didn't want to do it. You had a pit in your stomach, caused you to stay up all night or whatever, and you just, you're not going to do it. And then you just say, Lord, I, I know you're calling me, but I can't. And then you just, you, the Lord moves you on and you go do it. And you know, it might have even not gone great or gone well in worldly terms, but afterwards, you know that you know that you know that the Lord called you to do it, and you feel better. You ever felt like that? Yeah. You turn your feet to his testimonies. You obey. I make haste, and I don't delay. Because that's part of faith. I always say this. I mean, if, if my boys are going to obey me when I say, when they were little, now they sort of moved out on us, but anyway, hey, Tuesday night's trash night. Now, Dad, I got that. No problem. No problem. And let's say they put the trash out Tuesday at about 10 in the morning. Well, they sort of obeyed, but they didn't really obey because they didn't do it on time. And I want you to notice here, he's saying, I made haste and didn't delay. When the Lord asked him to do something, he turned his feet towards the testimonies. He obeyed. To keep your commandments, because the cords of the wicked have bound me. But I have not forgotten your law. You ever have been involved with somebody who's just mean and hateful and wicked? Well, where does the Bible tell you to turn? It says turn to his word. Don't forget his law, the law of God. Now that is an interesting thing because I don't know about you, but everywhere I went today, I I wasn't like this, were you? So what's that tell you? That there's a place and an important place for memorizing the word so that when, wherever you go, the Bible's always with you. Because he remembered to keep the commandments and remembered and didn't forget the law. And at midnight, I will give rise thanks to you, or rise to give thanks to you. Being very purposeful, even when he wakes up in the middle of the night. Isn't that interesting? Being very purposeful. Because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you. Um, God's uh, word should even be a guide in who you choose friends with. 
Now, I'm not talking about uh, being acquaintances with people and, um, you know, uh, going and being with, uh, you know, people who are non-Christians. I mean, they're, God's calling us to do that. But the friends that you have that you take counsel from and that sharpen you, wow, make sure that those friends fear God and make sure that they're into the word. Fellowship around the word. You'll never be um, more blessed with a friendship than when you're fellowshipping around the word. And of those who keep your precepts, those are the friends. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. See, uh, here the the Lord in uh, verse 64 is full of your mercy. He gives full provision for man's happiness. I mean, look, folks, I think, I mean, most of us in here have a place to stay. Most of us in here have plenty of clothes and plenty of food and have plenty of friends and have plenty of places to go and have plenty of work to do and have family, etc. And we could go on and on and on. God's provided full provision for man's happiness. Well, here you move into the next ninth stanza. How many verses does the ninth stanza have? Oh boy, you guys are sharp, right? You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Isn't that fascinating? Here, here's this psalmist is relating to God, but according to the word. That's why you get weird stuff sometimes in the church. Because people relate to God, but not according to the word. You understand? And weird stuff comes from that. But healthy and good and righteous stuff comes from relating to the Lord according to his word. Get out your Bible. Get out your pen. Get out your journal and pray about it until you come to something in your study. And think about it and Ask the Lord what it means and meditate on it and memorize it and ask the Lord how it can be applied in your life so that you could give him glory. That's a Bible study. He says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Um, That word, teach me good judgment, is taste. Like, will my life be a good, tasteful life, spiritually, or will it be worldly? And give me knowledge. And that doesn't just mean facts. That word in the Hebrew there means experiential knowledge of God. Did you catch that? He's praying that he would experience God. And he's relating it to the word. (laughs) Seeing a theme here. For I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You're a good, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud, oh boy, have forged a lie against me. What do you do when people lie about you? And they will. What do you do when people lie about you, especially as you're following the Lord? Listen to this guy. The psalmist said, I went astray, and then I was afflicted, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have, do you know what forged means? It's like on the anvil, the hot 
thing and the hammer and the da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And they're forging out and creating a lie or a series of lies to nail you with. And what this psalmist is saying is if you want to survive that, and not only survive, then you get down into the Word where the presence of God is. Isn't that great and wonderful advice? You ever been lied about? It ain't fun. They forge a lie against him, but I'm going to keep your precepts with my whole heart. The heart their heart is as fat as grease. It means dull to spiritual truth. Their hearts are dull to spiritual truth. But I delight in your law. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. <gasps> Can't say that in America. It should say, shouldn't it? It's good for me to be always comfortable. It seems that in the Psalms, that the psalmist talks about something that's come upon them by God, an affliction. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament, does it not? That if you are being chastised, praise him by the Lord. If you're being chastised by the Lord, praise him. It means you're a son or a daughter of the king. And he only disciplines those he loves. So that affliction here is a good thing. In fact, the psalmist recognized it after the fact. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. I was chastised. I was disciplined. Anybody ever felt that? By the Lord. And that was a good thing. Why? Because then I learned your statutes. They became real to me. I cling to you, and I had to walk in obedience, and I needed to repent. And I didn't just know these words intellectually, but they became something that was in here. I knew them in my heart. Even when people lied against me, I learned about your statutes. The law of your mouth, verse 72, is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. What are true riches in the Christian life? It's knowing God through his word. There's nothing higher. There's nothing greater. There's nothing better. There's nothing that can compare. That's what the psalmist is saying. And see, I think, personally, a lot of us in America never know that experiential knowledge. We know a lot of facts. We know a lot of Bible verses. But we never experience in the, way, in the right way, in a good way. And we never test the Lord, not that we're detesting, but I'm saying test his promises more and more. No, we just know the facts, ma'am. But what about experiencing the Lord? Then we could say the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. I wonder, really, if we went around to all the churches next week and we said to everybody in the pews, we are going to give you $5 million or we're going to take away your Bible for life, what people would pick. I wonder. And then you go on to Yod, it says here in 73. A surrender and fullness, fully surrendering to God's word. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. And reminds you, doesn't it, of Psalm 139, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and that the Lord knew you in his womb or in your mother's womb? You're no accident. We're no accidents. God has a purpose and a plan, and he's good, and he cares for his creation. 
He didn't just come and wind up the earth and wind up the reproductive system and just say, okay, go for it and all that. God's involved and cares, you see. And he cares for you. And he cares for me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. That's the prayer part of your Bible study. Lord, help me here. I don't really understand what it means to love my enemies. Watch that prayer. (laughs) Those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Boy, let me me just have you uh, write that out and put that on your refrigerator. Don't you want to be be a person that when you come around the corner, people aren't ducking for the exit signs? Don't you want to be a person that refreshes and builds up and, uh, you know, exhorts people and is graceful and merciful? You can be truthful, nothing wrong with truth, but don't you want to be a person that when you come around the corner, people are glad to see you? Okay, then pray about it and stick to God's word. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. Wouldn't you want to be known? Can you imagine if on your uh, tombstone, the Lord said about you, or excuse me, your, your family said about you, there lies whoever she hoped in God's word. What would be better than that? My goodness, so wouldn't you want to be known for that? How, how, how do you, are you known for hoping in God's word among the people of Christ? Well, you stand on his promises. You are filled up with the Holy Spirit. You're so loving and gracious to other people. You take time out to serve them and to love them and find out how they're doing. You don't just stay in your own bubble. And this is not just you manufacturing all of this. This is the Holy Spirit living in and through you. Be a breath of fresh air. Don't be a drag. (laughs) We should name that sermon. Why? Because you've hoped in the word of God. You stand on his promises. And you're full of faith and people see it. Oh, man, to be that. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that faithfulness, or in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. This part, this stanza here is almost the same type of stanza as the one before. Uh, You have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort. Oh, my. I'm so glad I've been afflicted, he says right there, so I can experience your merciful kindness. That comforts me. That's what he just said. Whoa. According to your word, to your servant, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live. By the way, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So yes, and the gospel is the spoken word. You must hear the gospel. So let your tender mercies come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treat me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. What does it mean to meditate on something? Is it Eastern meditation where you empty your mind of everything and be weird? No, that's not what the the biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is you take something from the Lord and you ponder it and you fill your mind up with it and you turn it over and you think upon it. And then the Lord by his Holy Spirit comes and makes it alive to you, and has you live it out. That's meditation. 
Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, uh, that I may not be ashamed. And in 1 John 2, it says, when Jesus Christ comes back, let us not be ashamed. Because what were we doing? We were waiting and we were watching. And how were we waiting? We were there in our Bible. And every time we return to the Bible, that was our, where we received our portion of the Lord. Calf, I think is how you say it. Somebody tell me otherwise. But verse 81. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My, listen, this is how much this psalmist studied the first five books of the Bible. He didn't have all what we have. He had, we have much more of a variety than this guy. But he was into his word. His eyes failed from searching the word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke. That means he was uh, shriveled up and useless. Yet I do not forget your statutes. How, there it is again, memorizing the word. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? That was his prayer. The proud have dug pits for me. In other words, look, look folks, folks, this stanza here is like the worst day ever. That's what's happening to this guy. I'm shriveled up and useless. I'm in the pits. Uh, I'm having a really rough time. Nothing's happening good at work. My personal life's in shambles. People are persecuting me. They dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. They're, people are being evil and not acting godly towards me. That's what this guy is saying. But all your commandments, verse 86, are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. And then it says, help me, which means come to my aid. Come alongside me and help. Sometimes isn't that just the best prayer? Lord, I have no idea what to pray in this situation. Help. Help. I'm lost. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I didn't forsake your precepts. And now watch, folks, watch. Revive me. Anybody ever feel like being revived? That you're down in the dust? That you're just clinging and you just don't know if you can get back up? And here it says, revive me according to your loving kindness, which is the word has said. Why? So that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Help me to obey. You stay in the word. The Lord can revive and will help you to obey. Now watch 89, Lamed. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We should memorize that one. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. The eternal origin and duration, listen to me, the eternal origin and duration of God's word is settled right there. It's told us that it's from heaven. It's heavenly. It's eternal. In other words, trust it. There's nothing like God's word, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35. And then verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generation. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For all your servants, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Man, when you get afflicted, maybe the Lord has chastised you and you know it. 
And you, you just, you know, you know that feeling when you know that you know that you know that you need to repent and you just don't feel, you know, you, you know the feeling, right? And it's a good thing, but it's a hard thing. What? Don't forget his precepts. Get in the word. Your law had been delight in his word in these times. You don't need to call somebody and say, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you can if you want. But he puts it right here for you. Just get with the Lord first. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I've sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I'll consider your testimonies. I've seen the consummation of all your perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. How about this? Can you say this? Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Do you love the word of God? What we love, we love to think about. Write that down. What we love, we love to think about. A person of God carries his Bible with him, as I said, always. If not in his hands, in his mind, and in his heart. Memorize it. Oh, how I love your law. Meditate on it day and night through your commandments. Make me wiser than my enemies. I want you to catch this. Make him wiser than my enemies. Why? Because my enemies are ever with me. Here's what our prayers are. Lord, remove my enemies and I'll be happy. And what this is telling you is that's never going to completely happen. So if you want to have peace and strength and comfort and vision and ability to move on and through, then you'll be a person who's in the word and becoming wise, wiser than your enemies, because they're always going to be around. And you help me to have more understanding than my teachers. That's what the word of God does. Do you understand this? That even the, the word of God makes you, in a way, you know, wiser, maybe not in facts, than your teachers, but the, the ability to navigate and be nimble in the situations of life because you know the heart of God. That's what this means. For your testimonies are my meditation, but it takes you doing it and not being distracted and I doing it and not being distractive. I understand more than the ancients. Now, you don't care about that verse too much. But if you were living at this time, you'd care about this verse a lot because the ancients, the, the prophetic, the, the wise people of old knew more than anybody. And here he's saying, when you know the, the word and the will of God through his word, you're, 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 uh, you know more than the ancients. And why? Because not only do you know it, but you walk in it, you keep the precepts, you restrain your feet from every evil way that you keep your word, that I may keep your word. That's what happens when you, you be, uh, stay in the word. You, you want to please the Lord. I've not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me, watch this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now you and I, and we all love a great big swig of ice water. We love it. You go and you cut the grass or you do a workout or I don't know what you do, but you're hot and sweaty and you come in and it's awesome. And you drink water and it's, it's great to drink water and no one's saying it's not uh, uh, 
uh, great to drink water, but isn't it wonderful just once in a while to have something sweet? And it just hits right. But not only that, but honey is good for you and sweet, and it, 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 it brings to life. It makes things pop in life. And that's what he's saying here. There's a deepness, is that a word? A richness to life that comes through the word of God. Man, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, you can blow by that if you want, but just go home and turn on the TV and start watching for about three minutes. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to be false and hateful and evil things that are right on there that are packaged really nice and wonderful. There's a lot of music, and I'm not very legalistic about it, but there's lots of music that's packaged in a neat and wonderful and beautiful and great melodies and harmonies and beautiful music, and it's evil and it's false, and we listen to it. And I'm not saying, you know, whatever. I'm not being legalistic about it, but what, he, what he's saying here is that in comparison to all of that, the Word of God is so healthy and wonderful for you. And then you go on to the next stand, and he says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hey, somebody should sing this song. But anyway, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And David Goodzig points out that Christians walk in these ways. The word is a lamp to your feet so that you know where you're putting your feet down and walking. But it also lights up the path so you can have vision and go there. And Christians, he says, in Ephesians 4.1, do this, walk worthy. They walk uprightly in Isaiah 57. They walk in the light, 1 John, and they walk humbly, Micah tells us. So your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever been confused? In the dark about something? Didn't know which way to turn? Had no idea how to get out of something? Well, what God's word is telling us is to turn on the light. And the way you turn on the light is you just stay and study consistently and devotionally, if that's a way of saying it, with a heart towards knowing and meeting God, staying in his word. I have sworn and confirmed that I'll keep your righteous judgments. I'm afflicted very much. Revive me. There it is again, according to your word. Accept, I pray, watch this, the free will offerings of my mouth. Do you see what the, the uh, author, the psalmist is telling you here? Don't do this out of obligation. <laughs> this isn't some duty you have to do to cross things off your Bible sheet. This is a love relationship where you're meeting the Lord and you're giving free will offerings through your talking with and discussing with these things with the Lord. That's pretty powerful. Teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I don't forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I've not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. You catch that? The word of God is a heritage forever to the one who reads it. It's what you have that you can leave on to your family even, right? So it's something that you possess it's the testimonies that you can have. You take them as a heritage, and they're eternal in your life. These are the things that matter, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes 
forever to the very end. Now, I was going to go through the whole thing, but I'm going to do this last one right here. Dealing with your enemies, and we'll stop. How about this? The psalmist says in 113, I hate the double-minded. Oh, my. If you're dealing with your enemies, enemies oftentimes are double-minded. They are uncertain and uncommitted. But I'm not so sure he's not talking about himself here. I hate the double-mindedness in me. In that I become uncertain and uncommitted. And I want to be single-minded. I want to be finding um, uh, the prize, the upward call of God and Jesus Christ, leaving behind everything there and moving forward to the prize. This one thing I want is to fellowship with the Lord, Paul said. I don't want to be double-minded or triple-minded or quadruple-minded. I want to be single-minded and loving your law. You're hiding, you are my hiding place and my shield. Isn't this wild? For some reason, for uh, somehow, the Bible is telling us as we stay in his word, we're protected. Hmm. That tells me something. That it isn't just what I see that's my enemy or out to get me. But it's something in the heavenlies that's spiritual. And I go and hide with my Lord and he protects me and I become safe as I hope in his word. Wow, that's powerful. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. This is interesting. I can't stand. I can't be upright. I can't survive, however you want to say it. I can't exist unless you uphold me according to your word. Anybody ever just feel like falling down? You can't take it anymore? Here, the Bible's saying, uphold me according to your word that I may live. This is desperate stuff. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Because people are going to say, what? You do what? You go on a Wednesday night and you listen to Psalm 119? What? That is so irrelevant. What's wrong with you? You believe in that garbage? Don't let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I'll be safe. And I'll observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes. For their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. You see here that uh, the psalmist here is telling us about God and sin. You put all away all the wicked. There's this judgment that comes to all of us. One of the indications that you're born again and that you're filled up with the Holy Spirit is that you obey what God asks you to do. You want to know how to love God? The Bible tells you. Obey his commandments. Give your life back to him in obedience and put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, that stuff on top, the impurity. You know what's wild about dross? Dross sort of looks like the thing that's being melted. 
but it's not. It's got the impurities in it. It's fakey kind of, because it kind of looks like it, but kind of doesn't. It's that scummy stuff at the top, and it's not worth much. Or, and that's what uh, he's saying here. You, you put all the wicked of the earth away like dross. They look good even sometimes. They even say the right things. But their life doesn't match up. You're the great judge in that area, he says. And he goes, wow, I love your testimonies of that. And here he finishes out this as he talks about the judgment of God. And he says this, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. You know, that's an amazing uh, uh, verse that speaks of his surrendering to God and in a way speaks of our surrendering to Christ. I mean, we don't fear of God for punishment anymore because he's paid the penalty and poured out his wrath on his son. But we're not his homie either. He's not just some buddy we just sort of a cavalier with. I mean... It's a fearful thing to be found in the hands of God, right? And so we, we are to be people who fear in the right way, respect, revere the Lord and the things of the Lord. Does it mean we can't laugh? It means we can't. No, I don't think that. The Lord gave us our sense of humor. And yet there's a seriousness to worshiping the Lord and devoting your life to the Lord and responding to the Lord and keeping up with the Lord in his word. There's a seriousness about it. It should be first on our agenda. Because when the Lord comes back, (laughs) the Bible tells us that we, even we, the people of God, the saved of God, the redeemed of God, the Holy Spirit-filled people of God are going to stand in judgment. Yeah, not judgment for your salvation, of course not. But the Bible does say that we're going to give an account for the things that we did with what we had as stewards. Oh, and to have the crowns and to be given crowns for the things that God points out in his word. And I love it. Don't you love it? Some people resist teaching about it because they say it promotes like uh, competition. I say bring competition, but that's another story. No, I'm kidding. But they, do, they, uh, they don't preach about it because they say it promotes competition. I don't know about that. I just know that uh, life makes sense when God's the judge. There's purpose to life. And the things we do echo into eternity, and the Lord takes note of it. And he gives you a crown for some of the things that you're doing as a steward. But the beautiful thing, (laughs) you're not going to hold on to them. You'll give them back to him. You're going to lay them at his feet in worship. Even the things that you got at the Bema Seat Judgment, the crowns, you're going to give to him in adoration and worship. And so as we close here, I, I pray that we would do this. We would remember that we're part of something that's so greater than higher than just our everyday life with a white picket fence and an IRA and a vacation in the summer and a nice car and uh, nice clothes, but that 
Judgment is coming. And what we do while we're here matters. And the way in which we're fruitful and grow and close to the Lord and can walk and uh, handle the things that, are, that come at us is by staying in his word. And I pray that we would be people who would have our own devotional lives. Fifteen years ago, a guy named Andy Dean, he was the dean of the Bible college, maybe a little less than that, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. He said this, he said, uh, cell phones are the death of the personal devotion in the Christian life. And I think he's on to something. So I pray that we would be able to give that up and just spend time with our Lord every day, every morning, every evening. It takes giving up other things so that we can get up and commune with him. I think prayer and studying God's word is the way in which we mature as we walk it out then as we go out the door. Let's pray. Well, Lord, help us to be people who are doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Let's not just leave out of here and go, okay, Psalm 19, great, we're almost through it. Let's be people that commit our lives to you. Lord, for spiritual health and safety, for growth and sweetness and love, proclamation of the gospel and all the things that you'd have for us in our life. Lord, you take the word of God in the life of a child of God by the spirit of God and you make it happen. And so I pray that you would show us tonight how important and imperative it is that we keep in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.